This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. Hey, welcome Commonwealth City Church. Man, it is an honor to be here with you, whether that's on a device or in a living room or wherever you happen to be getting to getting to watch the sermon today. But uh, I want to kind of introduce, there's, I got to send out a message. I tell you, um, last Sunday was, I know it's, I know this has been one of the most bizarre seasons that any of us have ever been alive. But I'm telling you, last Sunday, I could not help but be encouraged. Getting pictures on Instagram of everywhere you guys were gathering, the ways that you were meeting, the way that you were really calling one another to unity and calling one another to comfort. And uh, I told some, I told a bunch of people, and I think I even sent this in an email this week. Was, you know, I felt like more than any Sunday I've ever been in ministry, I saw Ephesians four twelve come to life. Hmm. I'm gonna read it to you. Ephesians four, I'll start in verse eleven. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And I love this until we all attain to the unity of the faith the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, listen to this phrase, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Guys, there's a lot of times as a, as a minister, as a person who's you know, employed in daily service and, uh, and in the form of like um, church leadership, there's a lot of times where it feels like, man, oh yeah, I do the work of ministry. And then I get invited back into the, the original intention of the Spirit of God and the way that he wants his kingdom to work is that, no, 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 like you're just called to equip, equip the saints to do the work of ministry. And I just wanna say, thank you. Like, I mean, seriously, the way you all have been stepping up to do that, the calls and the texts that we've got to say, hey, how can we serve? Where can we be active in like representing the kingdom of God here in our city and in our community? And so first of all, I just wanna say thank you to you guys just for doing the work of ministry. And I know, I know that God's intention, his heart, his purpose in all this is that we would attain to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. You know, we were planning on when when we were still game planning around um, what our sermon series were going to look like as we continue to walk through John. Uh, Today was actually a Sunday that we were going to teach on one of the four distinctives. Um, you know, that we've been, we've been walking through to be people that are learners, to be people that are worshipers, to be people that are investors and people that share Jesus' burden in the world. But in the scope of, of how everything is changing and pivoting and, and there's different, you know, news every single day, we decided to take a moment and, and to lean in in a little bit of a different way uh, to equip and commission you all as the kingdom of priests that the scriptures say you are. And so in, in a way that's maybe a little different than we normally do. The scripture we're going to invite you to join us in today uh, is in Deuteronomy chapter six. And um, we're not actually going to fully preach from this. We're more going to use this as a framing and as a commissioning uh, for, for the stories and the encouragement and the equipping we give you today. Um, but this is a great, great scripture for us to just have in the forefront of our minds um, and, and really to understand that it changes the way we see our living rooms. It changes the way we see our gathering places, whether those are just with our family or with a few select friends, and groups of 10 or less, you know, as we're trying to, to really live by, by that sentiment. And so I just want to invite you into, into Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 4 
and go through verse 9. And so if you have, if you have the word with you today, um, I invite you to open it up, get the app out, or it'll be on the screen to, to, to read this verse uh, along with us, but also to just let this soak into our hearts, uh, commissioning over the people of Israel. And God's never stopped commissioning us in this. And so we're going to use this today as, as a commissioning for, for ourselves as well. Uh, in verse 4, Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now check this part out. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets for, between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorpost or the frames of your house and on your gates. This commissioning to teach generations and to teach the members of your household and to teach ourselves what it means to see the Lord as mighty and powerful and good and to love him with all our hearts, heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's going to be our commissioning today. So I just want to pray for us as we get started and as we get into um, into our encouragement today from, from, the, from the Bible. So let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Jesus, we just thank you so much uh, just for, for knowing um, when and how our lives and our ears and our hearts would receive this truth, this commissioning, that you have made us to be people that view remembering and view recognizing um, the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the work of God and in the person of Jesus. You, you've given us the opportunity to see and recognize and remember that as moments where we worship you, as moments where we declare your goodness, as moments where we're announcers um, and heralds of a kingdom that's, that's not just to come, but a kingdom that's present. And Jesus, we just pray that uh, you just let that, that commissioning sink fully into our lives and to our hearts that um, we were created to sit around and talk about the goodness of God. Like we were created um, for it to be the first thing on our minds when we, when we rise and the last thing on our minds when we lay ourselves down to sleep. Like we were created to remember your promises and remember your faithfulness, even as a watchman over our doors, that when we enter and when we leave, um, that we are entering and leaving in the recognition and the remembrance and the worship of the goodness of an almighty God. And Jesus, I pray that you just, you just give us that commissioning, that you just form that and found that into our lives today. Um, as, as you just invite us to know you in a deeper, a deeper way in this season. Now, Lord, we love you and we thank you. And we ask today as we preach, as we, as we equip, as we encourage, we ask um, that you just are ahead of us, that you are meeting uh, hearts and minds and souls and spirits and giving them eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit is teaching, what your spirit is proclaiming and preaching. Uh, we trust that today. Uh, and we ask again, as we ask many weeks, let us not get in your way in that. Uh, Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, uh -huh. so we're telling a story today. We're going to use that Deuteronomy verse to, to kind of tell a really famous story among our living room. You know, like if we've looked, if we've looked at what that, that Deuteronomy passage challenges with, it's, it's tell these stories of God's faithfulness, of God's greatness. Tell them to your kids. Tell them around your living rooms. And today we're going to pick like arguably one of the, the highlight stories of the Old Testament. I've heard of some people even call it the Super Bowl of the Old Testament. Um, we're going to invite you to a story that's been told around living rooms, not just for like decades, 
but for thousands of years that this story has been um, described around the living rooms uh, of those that, that follow the Lord. So, so invite us into, into 1 yeah. Kings 18, Kurt. So if you guys want to, if you want to open up your word, follow along with this story, you can. I'm just going to kind of give a, a summary of it. But 1 Kings 18, the story where we see this man named Elijah. And Elijah is a great prophet of God. And what's happened kind of leading up to this is he has become the great troubler of Israel is what the king calls him, all right? The troubler of Israel. And what he's done is he has spoken truth. He said what God's asked him to say. He's lived like God's asked him to live. And the way that he was, he was asked to live became a living indictment on the way that the Israelites were living at the time. And so he's been hiding. Um, the Lord's actually been protecting him. He's been like protected from this king that's searching after him to come and kill him. And all of a sudden, the Lord makes it clear hey, it's time to come out of hiding. And not just come out of hiding. When you come out of hiding, I want you to go and face the king who's been searching for you to kill you. And when you face him, I need you to invite the entire nation of Israel as one unit to come and to spectate because I'm going to put on a show. And he does. And he invites all of Israel and they all come around and they gather. And they gather not just like to watch Elijah, but then he says, I also want you to bring somebody else. All right, Ahab needs to come. It's the king of Israel at the time. And I need you to bring all of your prophets that are the prophets that represent a false religious identity that had become, that had really saturated the nation of Israel at this time. That was the prophets of Baal. And these prophets of Baal come out, 400 of them. And Elijah basically just kind of challenges them to like this, like prayer fight in essence. I mean, that's really what it is. Like, all right, we're going to have a prayer fight. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask my God to do something, and you're going to ask your God to do something. We're going to see which God responds. And whichever God responds, we'll know that that God is the Lord. So we see this story kind of take us to the top of a mountain, Mount Carmel in Israel. And you've got these 400 prophets of Baal. You've also got 450 prophets of Asherah. So you've got like 850 to 1. You know, this doesn't seem like odds are very much in Elijah's favor, except the fact that he has what we know at the end of the story, the one true Lord on his side. And so he, he uh, allows, you know, because he's a generous man, he allows the prophets of Baal and Asherah to go first. And they um, build an altar to their God. And they start, they, they, put a, they put a bull on that altar. And, and, the, and the contest is whichever God will rain down fire from heaven, like that's the one true God. And so they march around this. They pray. They weep. They even get to the point of desperation where they start like cutting themselves to try to get God's attention. And at one point, one of my favorite moments in the story, Elijah mocks them. He actually yells out at them like, what is, where is your God? Like, is he, is he asleep? Is he even using the bathroom? Like, that's one of my favorite moments it's like it's like Elijah's had the ultimate wrestling promo you know like if you think I was a big fan of of the not just the WWE but even the throwback days the WWF it's like Elijah had this wrestling promo moment where he is taunting these prophets of Baal and Asherah and they continue to go and and you know it even says in the scripture like no one heard no one responded like their God was silent and then it, it, it says that it moves as the, as the perspective changes. And I'm not sure exactly how long um, the, you know, this, this happened. Um, but as the perspective starts to change, the, the prophets of Baal and Asherah kind of essentially, you know, submit and say, okay, like our, our God's not doing anything. Let's see what yours has. And Elijah goes for his moment. 
says that he, he rebuilds the altar of the Lord, that he, he begins to put it together, that he puts on it a bull. And to keep in mind, like one of the context stories here is, is this nation has been in a drought for two years, hasn't had any water. And so what does Elijah do by direction of the Lord? He takes buckets of water, huge jars of water, and pours over the altar. Like with the most valuable resource they had, covers the altar of the Lord. It's not just that, oh, it's impressive God burns a wet altar. It's also the recognition of, of oh, we're going to take the most valuable resource and treat it as kindling. <laughs> we're going to take basically the equivalent of gold and treat it as just, you know, a fire starter. And so he pours water. He has this bull. He, he rebuilds the altar of the Lord. And it says that at the time of the sacrifice, I think in the NIV, it says at the time of the sacrifice, Elijah stepped forward and prayed. You know, and I'm reminded even in this season, like I have a tendency to slink back and, and think or rash, like reason in this whole season of what's going on. I have a tendency to, to kind of you know, hide myself and, and, and even be fearful at times. We talked about this last week, like being caught in the flow or caught in the current of worry and anxiety. But Elijah stepped forward and he prayed. I hope that's a people for us, that we step forward and we pray. And it says when he prays, he prays a simple prayer and God answers it and fire falls from heaven. And it says it laps up all the water. It even, it even laps up the dirt. And, and in front of the entire people of Israel, in front of King Ahab and Jezebel, in front of all of the prophets of Baal and Asherah, we see this glorious display that God, the Lord, is the one true God. What a story, and what a story for us today. And so as we've kind of told that story, we're going to pick out a few highlights um, that we want to draw you to specifically today. And so, so what's one thing that, that sticks out for you? Yeah, I know there's this moment where Elijah gets to approach. He doesn't just approach the prophets of Baal and Asher. He approaches the people of Israel. And he asks them a question. And the question is, it's really, gosh, it's just one of those that's always stuck out to me that every time I hear it, I'm like, oh man, that just hits me, like cuts me to the core. He says, how long will you go limping between two opinions? If God's the Lord, serve him. If Baal's the Lord, serve him. How long are you going to go on limping? You know, and I feel like in, in every context of our lives, that is going to apply in some form or fashion. Right now, it's, you know, it's a little bit more definitive, I feel like, in some ways. You've got, you've got hope versus despair. You've got fear versus, like, really responding in a confidence that God is going to be God in this season. You know, I mean, honestly, I, as we, every story that I read in God's Word now, I find a brand new application that I've never made before because every story in God's Word right now seems to speak to me in relation to coronavirus and COVID-19. You know, that's never happened in my life. But now when I read this story, I get to see how long will I go limping between two opinions? Mm. Will I choose fear? I mean, to be honest, like the first couple days of this, I mean, I'm, I've been a dad for one year. You know, one year I've got little wind boy who is like, man, that kid is unbelievable. He gets more fun every day. His mullet gets a little bit longer. He's just, he's just fantastic. And I, I see something like this happen and suddenly I find myself, who normally kind of, I feel like the Lord's taught me a lot of lessons in my life to get me to a place where I default to faith. And that's not some kind of like, oh, look at me, I'm so holy. Like, no, the Lord's just established this thing in my heart. But suddenly, like I, I see this happen and I think for me, man, I'm fine. I have a confidence and a trust, I'm not worried. Then I look at that little one-year-old boy and I think, I've got to kind of catch my breath a little bit. And I know I can tell myself, oh, well, 
doesn't seem to affect children the same way it does adults and all those things. But that's not the point. The point is like, do I trust that he has a heavenly father who has, who has far more investment in my son than I do? You know? And when I see this and I think, how long do I go limping between two opinions? I'm like, like her, who, who are you going to trust? You know, are you going to trust medical statistics that, and how they relate to the effects of the virus on children? Like, are you going to trust God? And so guys, that's, I know for me, even lately, just saying, all right, how long, how long am I going to go limping between two opinions? And there's something about that, that this limping versus the way that we know we're called by God to be a people who stand up with confidence and who run, who run after him. And so my, my commissioning to you today, as we read that, man, what are the places you're limping? I mean, honestly, whether it's faith and fear, whatever, whatever that looks like for you, Kind of just sit and listen and lean into what the Spirit of God is telling you. And say, where are the places that your heart limps? And where are the places that God is inviting you to run and a confidence and a trust that he has never broken a promise in all of human history and he will not start with you? That's so good. Now I want to draw our attention to a highlight for me in this story. Um, it's easy to, to tell this story and hit the high notes and, and kind of miss the how long will you go limping between two opinions or miss what, what we see in verse 30. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture. And, and over the past few months, I feel like the Lord has invited me into even this specific, these specific verses in just a new way that seems appropriate for this season and, and kind of this climate that we're currently living in. Um, listen to a, a good pastor friend of mine in Bowling Green, even uh, Jamie Ward. So Jamie, if you're watching. You know, this is for you. Uh, he he uh, invited us into, invited me into this text in a new way. And, and following that up with, with another pastor that I regularly listen to their podcast of just this concept of an altar. And I want to draw your attention to verse 30. Um, starting in verse 30, really through 31, says that Elijah, once he, he drew all the people together, said, Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near and he repaired, some translations say rebuilt, the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. That Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. If you know anything about Old Testament history, it wasn't ironic that he was moved to pick up these 12 stones and to rebuild God's altar. I know that Elijah being, uh, being one that was, was in tune with the stories of God's faithfulness probably channeled this moment where a guy named Joshua led the people across the Jordan River and upon um, the, the, through the Ark of the Covenant, the people almost having another, wasn't as impressive as the Red Sea, but another moment where they're walking and yet their feet are on dry ground. Joshua bends down and picks up 12 stones and builds an altar to remember that the Lord had met with them and brought them to this place of promise right before the, the fall of Jericho and, and the story and the book of Joshua. And so Elijah grabs these 12 stones and channels his memory of God being faithful, of God being worthy, of God being honorable and, and rebuilds and reconstructs an altar that had been thrown down um, so that God might be known, so his glory might be on display and so the people might hear and be known as one. And this concept of altars um, has been extremely interesting to me personally over the past little bit. You know, Kurt mentioned limping between two opinions. In this season, I think we're gonna be known as runners or limpers and how we respond, but also in this season. I want us to recognize that like everything around us is saying to build our faith and to build our expectation on anything but um, 
who the Lord is and what he's done for our life. You know, if we look at the idea of altars through the Old Testament, you would see that altars in their simplest form are places where God met with his people. You see Noah build an altar. You see Abraham build an altar. You see Joshua build an altar. You see uh, the kings throughout the history books of Samuel and Kings and Chronicles recognize and build altars. You see some kings rediscover altars and actually move all the people to see the altar of the Lord. And, and what would happen historically is God would meet with his people. His spirit didn't inhabit humans, that it, it, it went around. It was literally the Shekinah glory of God. If you read the Old Testament, it would move from place to place. And as his spirit would fall, as God's spirit, the Ruach of the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for spirit, as it would fall down, the people would consecrate that place and call it an altar. And on that altar, they would offer sacrifices. They would, they would expect communion with the Lord. And as God's spirit moved, so his people moved. In fact, in Exodus, you see the story of Moses having a conversation with the Lord. And he says, I don't want to go from here to there without your spirit. Well, the good news for us today is that because Jesus lives in us, because we've, we've confessed and believed and declared Jesus as Lord, like his spirit is not a tangible, it's not an outside force it's a tangible internal force in our lives. That every step we take is a step that we have the promise. Like Kurt said last week, where the, like, we're two or more are gathered, yeah, he's there. But where one or less are gathered, he's there too. Like we have the tangible understanding that the fullness of the Spirit of God is pleased to dwell in us and meets with us every single minute of every single day. But that being said, there's still places in my story and places in yours, seasons, moments that the Lord has been faithful to uniquely intersect his will, his plan, his presence with my life. And even in a modern day approach, I would call those places altars. In fact, as we look at this next season where maybe all, many of us are home for um, what sounds or what feels like an extremely like, abnormal amount of time. or We're kind of constrained and, and, and you know, moved to, to live in some different rhythms and different routines that maybe what the Lord's doing is, is drawing our attention to even recognize some of these places might not be living rooms and houses. They might not be bedrooms. They might not be just addresses. They might be altars. A couple weeks ago, as I was wrestling with this concept, I felt the Lord um, remind me of the places that he has divinely and purposefully met with me. Now, yes, I know he always meets with me. But I mean, even geographical places that there's, there's just a recognition of he's done something big in that moment. He's gotten my attention. He has motivated and moved me forward from that place with a greater trust and a greater awareness and a greater faithfulness. Over my desk, there's a picture of a cross from a camp in Western Kentucky called Jonathan Creek. Crossings at the creek. And there's a picture of a cross. And when I was a freshman in high school, like, it seems almost Jesus, you know, ooh, Jesus to say, oh, he met me at the cross. Well, of course he did. But there's this cross beside the lake down at Jonathan Creek. And, and I remember, like, as a young kid who was wrestling with my identity, I was a preacher's kid. Like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean for my faith to not be my parents' faith, but to be mine? Like, I can remember a tangible moment where the Lord met with me at that cross. And that's why it stays above my desk as a reminder of his faithfulness. I've driven around Lexington and, and, and surrounding areas and revisited places where God has been faithful to meet with me. And you'll be hearing some of those from me, from us as we keep going. Like just across this campus, there's a, there's a hospital. And specifically, there's a center in that hospital called the Marquis Cancer Center for most people in this city. 
That is a, a place of health and a place of treatment. Um, people recognize that as, as a hospital or even if we get inside as just hospital rooms. But for me and for my family, that, that's an altar. Because God was faithful to meet with us at Marquis Cancer Center in a season that was difficult, in a season that was trying. But he was faithful to remind us, even in those moments, I had to go back in my head into those moments, remind me of truth, remind me of faithfulness, remind me of his glory on display. And so when I drive past Albert Chandler Medical Center, I don't just see a hospital. I see an altar because God was faithful to meet me there. When I drive past a number of addresses in this city, everything from Zaxby's restaurants to a prayer room on Broadway um, to multiple residences that I was a part of when I was in, or I was a part of Bible studies in when I was in college to places that, that God has divinely used to parking lots that I've pulled off the side of the road and prayed prayers of faith and hope. Like it's not just spots on a map. Like it is, it is reminders of God's faithfulness to meet with us of God's faithfulness to be with us, for us to understand that Emmanuel is not a Christmas word, but it's an everyday word that God is with us, present, engaged. And actually, like as we even continue this today, like we've got a, a special altar for the two of us and really for the origin of this church that's not 300 steps down Columbia Avenue. Kurt, tell us about yeah. the altar of 561 Columbia Avenue. Yeah, even as we talk about altars, I'm always reminded of one of my favorite statements from C.S. Lewis. He says, he said that he loves to go back to the thin places in his life. And when he says thin places, he means the places that even though this is not some theological statement that like that's thin there and heaven and earth is actually closer. He's just saying it, it, it feels that way because of what the Lord has done, because of the way he set those places apart with intention and with purpose by the things that he's done. 561 Columbia Avenue is, the, is one for us because back in college, when we began to see the Lord, like wake up a movement of discipleship and saw like a deep yearning in a lot of college students to get to know who God was, like you were talking about, to not, to not have an inherited faith, but have a faith that was all their own. 561 Columbia Avenue was the address where we got to have a Bible study and a living room that turned into multiple Bible studies and really got to see the Lord move in a unique and a beautiful way that set a fire and a passion in our hearts to see revival happen in the city of Lexington that's never gone out and I know never will. And ironically, you know, just, I think, I told people, I've never actually counted how many doors, but it just sounds good to say it was 12 doors down and 12 years later that we got to plant Commonwealth City Church right here in this space on the same street. And all those years ago, asking the Lord, hey, Lord, will you, will you do it? Will you do it? And as we got to see the Lord begin to put together this community and saw him wake up a dream and a passion that we know has always been on his heart, and he finally put it on ours and let us join him. Man, it's, it's beautiful because now, you know, I live, I live not far off of Columbia Avenue, and I have to take that route home every day, and I take that route in every day, and I always get to pass that place, that altar, that home where I saw the Lord light a fire that hasn't mm. gone out. And I love, I love the way that this, this altar understanding just takes us right back to Deuteronomy 6, where he's like, it's called the Shema. It's like the ultimate, like if, if you were, you know, for me, like growing up, the, the first scripture that you always memorize, um, and especially growing up a good Baptist preacher's kid, like me and Andrew both, was John 3.16. That, that was the one, like you, you learn John 3.16. You know, and then 
But if you were a good Jewish kid, you were going to, like the first thing you were going to learn was Shema. Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, Lord of God, the Lord is one. What, what Andrew read at the beginning where he says, Man, constantly remind your children. Not just God is good, love him. No, no, no. Remind them why. And not just generally because of who he is. I mean, yes, remind them of his character, of his beauty, of his personality. But remind them of the places that he has put that personality and character on display in your life. Yeah. Remind them of the places and the ways that that has happened. And as, as I talk about 561 Columbia Avenue, as, as Andrew talks about, talks about a hospital just down the road. Guys, I know, I know that everyone who's listening to this, that immediately places, locations, addresses, spots, moments in your history, in your life, begin to come to mind. And guys, I would say something really, really simple. Like, don't be selfish with your altars. Hmm. Like, don't keep them to yourself. That's ultimately what, what he's saying in Deuteronomy 6. is like, hey, like this is meant to, these, these places where I've done work before in your life and your heart, like they're meant, they're meant for you to remember because that, that remembering is going to encourage you, but it's also going to sustain you. Yeah. It's going to sustain you. Guys, like testimony, there's this unique thing that God has placed within testimony and that he has made it contagious. For real. Like, your testimonies are contagious. When other people hear them, they begin to be reminded of the fact that, like, wait, God has always kept his promises. Why do I live with this weird subconscious assumption, this subconscious voice that's always in the back of my mind trying to convince me and tell me that he is going to break his promises to me? Because he won't. So today, one of the things that we'd ask you is, let your testimonies get contagious. We've created some questions to help you form this contagious testimony. The first one is what stories can you tell of his faithfulness? You know, in that Deuteronomy 6 passage, uh, it talks about telling these stories, telling of God's goodness, telling of, of his oneness, telling of your love for him uh, in living rooms and among those that gather with you. And so what stories can you tell of his faithfulness? They can be big theological um, perspective stories. They can be small, little, unique, detailed stories of times and places that God's been provisional and that God's been faithful to you. The second question is, what places or what seasons has he uniquely met with you and shown or displayed his faithfulness in your life? There could be stories of seasons of suffering or seasons of strife that God proved faithful. There could be seasons of celebration and seasons of blessing where you are reminded that, that he is a God that has uh, uh, provided for you, that he has shown you great favor. And I would just remind you that, that the way that we see those moments in our history, from everything from, from the deepest, darkest trial to the, to the greatest celebratory success, um, are, are moments that give us a voice to declare his goodness, his grace, and his faithfulness to us. And then finally, a third and, and last question. How has he proven faithful to you today? If today is an altar moment, if today is a moment where the Holy Spirit meets with us and the Holy Spirit joins us, um, not just because we're in a watching a video um, for church, but because the Spirit lives in all those who believe, how has he been faithful to you today? And in fact, let me help you answer this final question. Um, 
we're reminded in verse 30 of 1 Kings 18 that Elijah rebuilt the, the altar of the Lord. You know what though? That altar was probably torn down again. In fact, we know through the history of, of, of the people of Israel that altars were built and altars were destroyed time and again. But let me tell you something that Jesus has done for us that we can celebrate today. We left off last week with the, the story of Jesus being exchanged for Barabbas. And we know that the very next part uh, of the story of the narrative in the Gospel of John is that he goes on to the cross. Well, we have Elijah in the Old Testament, but we have a better and truer Elijah in Jesus Christ. That when he bent down, he didn't take 12 stones, but he took a cross. And he forever rebuilt the altar of the Lord. And guess what? It can never be torn down. It can never be destroyed. It stands victorious and exalting for all time and forevermore. In fact, even at the end of this saga, at the end of this story, we see the book of Revelation that says, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Why? Because the cross is the perpetual and forever declaration that God meets with his people, forever rebuilding the altar of the Lord. When his disciples walked past a hill, or his disciples saw a cross, I bet they weren't just reminded of a theology lesson. I bet they were reminded of a daily truth that Jesus went to it for us and defeated death in the grave in his resurrection. And so as you recognize these places, those, those questions we asked in your life, in your story, in your family, that God has displayed and declared his faithfulness. Let us start with the cross, absolutely. Let us recognize that today. But let us also tell the stories of everyday things in life, whether it's a hospital or, or a house or, or a resident somewhere or, or BCM on a, on a college campus that might be a building to the people that walk by it, might be a hospital to the people that walk by it every day, might be just a, another residence, uh, 561 Columbia, might be just another um, example of, of, of col college housing, but to us are altars. Let's tell the story of what it means to recognize these places in everyday life that God says, for, for most people, they're normal. For you, they're sacred. May this season be a, a season. May your house be a house, be a place that we don't just recognize these are the days we live in, but this is the sacred invitation we have to meet and commune with the living God. The cross is the altar rebuilt, but our hearts are his presence displayed. May we be a people that live in view of the altar of the Lord at the cross and also in our living rooms and display his goodness and his grace for all to see. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we just thank you so much for the reminder, for the reminder that um, how have you been faithful to us today? How have you been faithful to me today? You forever rebuilt an altar that can never be torn down. Like your work, it is finished, forever rebuilt the altar of the Lord. And we get to see that visibly um, displayed in the work of your son on the cross. God, we, we just, we recognize that, we claim that, we claim that over our lives. Um, teach our hearts to see the cross as the, the perpetual declaration that you are with us, that you meet with us, and that you're for us. Um, see it to a place that we recognize its glory and its exaltation of, of Jesus Christ, 
uh, the same way that, that those around the, the throne one day in the book of Revelation declare your glory. May we be a people that declare your glory right now um, and for the rest of the days of our life. And God, teach us uh, of the journey that we're on with you, the places that you've marked marked our lives with where you have reminded us of your faithfulness. And God, also teach us to be confident that if we can look at our collective history, my story, all these people's stories of places that you've met us and moved us and motivated us and, and intersected our lives. If, if we know we have a history of your faithfulness, then we can be certain of the future of your faithfulness. God, teach us to be certain of a future of your faithfulness as well. Lord, teach us these days to not waste them, but to give us a contagious testimony to display and declare your goodness and your grace. It's in your glorious and worthy name that we pray.